a listener note. This podcast contains very strong language. Forgotten stories of football. Dundee United's glory years under Jim McLean. Part one. How a unique manager, tactical genius, bully, visionary and absolute bampot brought unimaginable success in the 1980s. Written by Daniel Harris. Forgotten Stories of Football from The Guardian. Tony Soprano once noted that remember when is the lowest form of conversation. But he was only partially right. We're nothing if not our memories, so it makes little sense not to glory in them. All the more when circumstances take a turn for the worse. And for Dundee United, for Scottish football in general, that is irrevocably the case. So, T, with all the love and respect, Vafanculo. Founded in 1909, Dundee United spent their first 62 years doing not very much. They won the second division title twice, but otherwise, not even an international cap. Things improved when Jerry Kerr was appointed manager in 1959. He established the club in the top flight and led them into Europe for the first time, but that was pretty much it. United did, though, achieve brief notoriety during the freezing winter of 1962-63, using a tar-burning truck to thaw the Tanadice pitch and removing all the grass in the process, before pouring on a load of sand and applying whitewash like a goth doing their eyebrows. Thus did they earn their nickname, the Arabs. Kerr retired in 1971, and United's board did not look far for his replacement. They had observed that the players across the way at Dundee were always incredibly fit. The man responsible, Jim McLean, had also played for the club. But despite that allegiance, and though the dark blues were by far the more illustrious of the neighbours, he fancied the job and was appointed aged just 34. The first request he put in was for a stopwatch, and during one of the first practice matches he oversaw, stopped the action within ten minutes. I thought we had eleven coaches on the park, he said. Nobody was prepared to do any running. This terse tyranny bestrode Scottish football for a generation. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Forgotten Stories of football. Dundee United's glory years under Jim McLean. McLean's maternal grandfather had played for Rangers, and his father was a decent player too. But things changed when, after getting married, he joined the Plymouth Brethren, bestowing upon his children all the fun of an ascetically religious upbringing. Two of his sons, Jim and older brother Willie, nonetheless followed him into the local team, Larkhall Thistle, before Jim left school and took an apprenticeship as a joiner. Though he soon signed for Hamilton Academical, he maintained his trade, and after spells at Dundee and Clyde, joined Kilmarnock, where he played with his younger brother Tommy. 
Arriving at United, McLean quickly realised that his grand ambitions could be satisfied only if he developed talent. The average attendance in his first season was just 9,743, so he restructured the club's youth system, at the same time cementing himself as its sole source of power. And it worked. Though United remained in mid-table, in 1974 he led them to their first Scottish Cup final. They were walloped by Jock Steen's Celtic. McLean later admitting to being in his thrall, and things continued improving thereafter. The lean years were over. Now it was time for the McLean years. That summer, an 18-year-old attacker from Ellen in Aberdeenshire arrived. Paul Whitehead Sturrock went on to play 385 times for the club, and in his first season, he scored six goals in 12 league appearances, helping the team to a fourth-place finish, their highest ever though this came at a cost. Andy Gray and his 46 goals in 62 appearances left for Aston Villa. He was 19. McLean was less than gruntled, having spent hours working with Gray on the training ground. It was no use plying him with good balls, for he scored too easily, he said. It was the bad balls that helped him. His right side was not nearly as strong as his left side. We helped him develop that. Accordingly, he vowed that never again would he be so burned. United's surprise improvement had qualified them for the new Scottish Premier League, contrary to McLean's expectations, who felt it a season too soon, and contrary to the wishes of those steering the restructure, who felt the club an irrelevance. In the event, they avoided relegation only by virtue of a point gained at Ibrox on the final day, sending Dundee down into the bargain. Things would have been less tense had Hamish McAlpine, their goalkeeper, not hit the post from the penalty spot. But potential calamity was averted thanks to McLean's meticulousness. He had two players primed for precisely such circumstance, converging on the opposing keeper to prevent the launch of a counter-attack. Also cementing their status that afternoon were Aberdeen, making it a pivotal one in Scottish football history. Both clubs retained their young players and consolidated, ending 1976-77 tucked in behind the old firm. This earned them entry into Europe. United remained there for a frankly ludicrous 14 consecutive seasons, while in April a lion rampant was displayed over Tannadice to celebrate David Nery's first Scottish cap. Subsequent improvement suggested that the players were ready to contest top spot. But despite an imperious pasting of Rangers in December 1978, they ended up third. We just aren't good enough. Yet, lamented McLean. His final word telling. The following season, United won their first major honour, the Scottish League Cup. Meeting Aberdeen in the final, they played badly in a nil-nil draw. So McLean made some attacking tweaks for the replay, while Alex Ferguson left his team alone. The upshot was a 3-0 gubbing, disbursed at Dundee's Dens Park for extra resonance. United made a strong defence of their trophy too, dispatching Celtic in the last four to set up a local derby. You just could not lose to Dundee, the pressure was so great, said Sturrock. There was just no way to be able to live in the town and face your supporters should you lose. They did not, winning 3-0. 
though they did have their melts battered in by Rangers in a cup final replay, and finished a disappointing fifth in the league. By this time, the youngsters nurtured by McLean more or less comprised the team. Along with Sturrock and Neri, there was Richard Goff, Ralph Milne, Billy Kirkwood, John Holt, Derek Stark, Davy Dodds and Morris Malpass, who McLean threw into the reserves at 15. I couldn't handle it physically, he said, but it made you mentally strong. Meanwhile, McAlpine had been at the club since 1966, while in front of him was Paul Hegarty, a striker signed from Hamilton and converted into a centre-back. A relaxed, homely bunch. They and McLean's corner shop styling of them reflected the city of Dundee very nicely indeed. McLean, though, defined his club not just in his own image, but in opposition to the old firm, railing at the reverence accorded them by the media. As such, journalists who offended him were invited not to come again, and after an obscene message was graffitied on his suitcase during a trip abroad, the reporter he believed to be the culprit was banned from Tannadice, and even when it transpired that the actual culprit was a mate of his, McLean still refused to relent. In reality, McLean was overcompensating. Everybody felt I was a supremely confident man, he said. I wasn't. Of course, I've expressed strong views from time to time when I was asked for my opinion. But in fact, I was very insecure. I know that sounds strange given my reputation. Not especially. Football is simple, but people are complicated. In September 1981, United were drawn against Monaco in the first round of the UEFA Cup winning 5-2 in France. The turning point, said McLean years later. Then, in the next round, they faced Borussia Mönchengladbach, losing 2-0 in Germany. No club in Europe could overcome that deficit, reckoned their manager. But back at Tannadice, four goals from four different homegrown players, along with a belter from Eamon Bannon, delivered a 5-0 Tausing, one of the most brilliant results of the era. In the quarter-finals, United met Radnitsky Nish. After winning the home leg 2-0, they were surprised when, the night before the return, they saw a man sitting with the opposing directors, guzzling food and drink, which they had been told was unavailable in that part of Yugoslavia. A man who turned out to be the referee. In an absolutely incredible turnaround, the Serbians secured the 3-0 win they needed to progress. Forgotten Stories of Football Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. 
Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Forgotten stories of football. Dundee United's glory years under Jim McLean. In the early 80s, United now knew they were good enough to reach semi-finals and finals of international competitions and were finally making money from their adventures. Previously, travel costs meant that they were effectively fined for their success. And McLean's personal stock was on the rise too. He travelled to the 1982 World Cup as Jock Steen's assistant. The 1982-83 season was the last in which United would sport their epochally beautiful kit of tangerine shirt with black floppy collar, black Adidas stripes and black diagonal DUFC on the heart. They would, of course, replace it with something almost as delectable, but in the meantime set about glorying its swan song. A brilliant team goal at the earth's end of a game against Celtic showcased their cohesion and Richard Goff's sleek chest and finish against Rangers, their individual class. We didn't play 4-4-2 or 4-2-4. We played a wee bit in between. More a 4-3.5-2.5, McLean said in 2009. Ralph Milne definitely was a forward working back a bit. Bannon was a midfield player working forward an awful lot and still giving as many crosses. They gave us a lot of width. Without width, you'll never create goals. But equally important was the deployment of players within that framework. The two strikers were Davy Dodds and Paul Sturrock. But I reckon when you play a tall centre-forward against two big centre-halves, the centre-halves are happy. We played Sturrock through the middle and Dodds played in the inside of the right-back. He wasn't good with his back to goal, so I decided I could get him half-turned. When Davy was half-turned on the inside left and coming in a lot, he was magnificent and scoring more goals because he was coming free rather than man-marked. He was a tactical genius, said Sturrock. He could tinker with positions during a game, switches or make substitutions which altered the course of a match. He'd always done his homework, of course, but it was the improvisations he came up with which we came to utterly trust and respect and which made all the difference. And still there was more to it. Like Ferguson and Brian Clough, McLean extracted the maximum from less than stellar talents. Players who excelled under his tutelage, but not necessarily otherwise. Up to and including the New Year's Day derby, United lost just once, 5-1 at Aberdeen, only to fall off the title pace immediately afterwards, when successive defeats left them third. Six points behind Celtic, with only two awarded for a win, they looked set for another decent but unspectacular finish, then went unbeaten until April, only for defeat at Parkhead to leave the players in McLean supposing they'd blown it. But a fortnight later, the teams met again, at Parkhead again, on a midweek night again, and with the score locked at one all, Goff was sent off. Naturally, Billy McNeil urged Celtic to get after it, only for Milne, Bannon and Sturrock to carve them up on the break, giving United a 3-2 win. Then, that weekend, they beat Kilmarnock 4-0. Celtic lost again, and suddenly, the title was theirs to lose. Excitement in the city was intense, with United laying on buses to take their supporters to Morton, who were also beaten 
as were Motherwell. They were a game away. Win it, and they'd be champions. A draw would be enough if Celtic beat Rangers by one goal and Aberdeen failed to beat Hibs. And in the event of a goalless draw, coupled with a 2-0 win for Celtic, the teams would play off at Hamden. So off they went to Dundee. Though only yards away, Dens was very different to Tannadice. A box, rather than a sprawl. The official attendance that day was 29,106, but a fair few more than that found a way in. And they were soon reminded why. Milne, taking a pass from Sturrock close to the edge of the centre circle, riding a challenge, advancing, and then from 25 yards languidly driving a chip for the goal of his life, the goal of anyone's life, in the match of his life, the match of anyone's life. On the 14th of May, 1983, six minutes into the half, went the soon-to-be-composed song. The ball soared over Kelly's head, and it was happy birthday, Ralph. Bannon quickly increased United's lead, and though Ian Ferguson quickly pulled one back, United hung on to win the league for the first time. Presented with the trophy live on grandstand and enjoying every second of it despite himself, McLean advised his mother to close her eyes before pursing his lips to take his first ever sip of champagne. The party then cut down the road to Tannadice before, McLean being McLean, he confiscated part of the joy, claiming to the local paper that the deed had been done with just 14 players. Milne felt the number was closer to 20, and in a way both were right. 14 regulars, 20 total. But that did not assuage the outrage. Milne later writing that this dismissal of fringe contributions left a bad taste in the mouth for many of us. A week later, Aberdeen, champions in 1979-80, the first from outside the old firm since Kilmarnock in 1964-65, beat Rangers to win the cup. As such, Ferguson was left with no choice but to chastise their performance by way of incandescent post-match interview. He and McLean were less new firm, more new terrifyingly firm. But as men, they were not entirely similar. Where Ferguson was canny, convivial and charming, McLean was blinkered, teetotal and one-paced. Crucially, he did not tailor his behaviour to suit different characters. The trade wind to Fergie's hairdryer and for that reason, he never experienced love to root his adulation. In some ways, though, his intransigence was laudable. Later that year, he was approached to take over at Rangers, and en route to interview, met Steen in the Hamden car park, who asked if United would win the league. McLean thought not. Then you're a failure, he was told, by a legend who, despite his allegiance, was desperate for his pal to make the best of himself. So off toddled McLean to meet the board. They started talking about my wages, he recalled. And I says, hold on a minute. I says, there's one or two things I want to see where we're going and where your intentions are. I says, I've got a really good team at Dundee United at the moment, I says. But there's some of them Catholics and some of them Protestants, and I don't care, I says. But if we're unable to sign Catholic players, I says, we just finished the interview now. I says, because it would be hypocritical of me coming here knowing that I couldn't sign a Catholic. The board agreed with his sentiment, they said, but McLean 
stayed put. With good reason. United were in the European Cup and had the defence to properly go after it. Hegarty bringing in bite what he lacked in teeth and Neri covering behind while controlling the line. We believed in defending ten yards inside their half rather than in your own box, said McLean. We could defend early in Europe in particular because of the back four staying up the park, making sure that it was too condensed for the opposition to find space. In the first round, they saw off Hamrun Spartans before turning 0-0 into 4-0 against Standard Liège and 1-2 into 2-2 against Rapid Vienna. Then in the semi-final, United met Roma, running them off the pitch at Tannadice to secure a 2-0 lead. So impressive was the performance that the Italian press assumed they were on drugs. So preposterous was the suggestion that McLean assumed they were joking. I hope we're still on them for the next game, he replied. The line subsequently mistranslated to ratchet up hype and paranoia already at quite some pitch. The final was to be played at Roma's Olympic Stadium, so the pressure on them to reach it was intense. Pressure they looked to divest by targeting their opponents, also accusing McLean of shouting Italian bastards at them through the first leg. Eventually, Giuseppe Viola, the Roma president, retracted the doping allegations, by which time they had served their purpose. En route to the ground, United's bus was pelted with missiles, and once inside, McLean encountered... The worst atmosphere of any football match I've ever attended, and that includes any Rangers and Celtic game. Among the banners included ones reading, God curse Dundee United, McLean fuck off, and Roma hates McLean, he's a cunt. Kickoff was cunningly scheduled for the afternoon. The scorching heat, uncommon in Dundee at that time of year, and United weren't at it. By half-time, the deficit had been wiped out. Before, on 58 minutes, Agostino Di Bartolome scored the penalty which sent Roma through. Then at full-time, McLean was attacked by Roma players and officials, though the majority of punches were absorbed by John Gardner, his reserve goalie, and Walter Smith, his famously tidy assistant. Years later... It transpired that Roma had tried to bribe Michel Votro, the referee, only for their intermediaries to deem him incorruptible. So instead, they did the decent thing, taking the money and taking off around the city's finest hotels. Magnificent. Dundee United's Glory Years under Jim McLean, Part 1, was written by Daniel Harris. Additional journalism by Rob Smythe. The reader was Robin Lang. Studio production by Polly Thomas. Theme music composed by Mike Payne. Sound design by Eloise Whitmore and Tony Chernside. Forgotten Stories of Football is brought to you by The Guardian. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. 
That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.